0: Blog Talk Radio.
2: Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection with your hosts, Rico Shields and Jean Victoria Norlock, bringing your inner light to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to this Tuesday edition of Everyday Connection. I'm Rick Shields. We're thrilled to have you with us this evening. Um, we've got a great show ahead for you. Mama Webb's going to be joining us again, and uh, we always have a blast when Mama Webb is here. Um, I wanted to take just a moment, give a shout-out to... Uh, uh, the chat room, we've got a couple of members of the Inner Child family in there. Janet's with us and Bill's with us. Hey, guys. Uh, love you both. And uh, for the rest of you, uh, we'd like to mention innerchild.ning, N-I-N-G, dot com. Uh, they're just a great bunch of folks and and really have been family to us, and I think that you might find that they would be family to you. And I have here now, Jean Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jean?
3: Good evening, my love. I'm fantastic. How are you?
2: I'm just lovely.
3: Wonderful.
2: Was just giving a shout out to the uh, inner child folks and the folks in the chat room. But of uh,
3: course, we love our inner child family.
2: And uh, we have here, too, our lovely guest, Mama Webb.
3: Yay! Howdy. Howdy. How, do
2: you... Hi, Mama. <laughs> uh...
1: What up? Wow, that's a loaded question. My goodness. <laughs> um, right now, as we're all a witness to you, everything's just going... Everybody's becoming aware of everything all at once, and it's a lot to take in. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff happening right now, and it's become overwhelming in some circumstances just to take in this deluge of information, but um, I'm finding that people are actually doing surprisingly well. People that I've talked to, the people that I work with on a regular basis, they're all seeming to understand that this is part of something that we've already gone through. It's, It's like, this is kind of like the birth pains. You know, but we're already aware that it's happening. Isn't it fun? <laughs> some ways, yes. In some ways, like I said, it's it's can be overwhelming, and it all depends on on how well you have set your footing. I don't know. I'm
3: I'm, I'm getting some kind of perverse pleasure out of, um, especially recently, watching the news and seeing what's going on around the world and this um, global awakening, if you will, is just. A shock to the system in some ways, but in some ways it's, you know, I, it sets me to giggling some days.
1: It's just like, yay, this is fun, look at them. <laughs> and that's the thing, if if you've gone through the awakening process, this isn't scary at all. If you've gone through the process of like, okay, this is the reality of the world that I live in, and I have to react in the way that's healthy, in a way that's respectful to it. It's not that scary when you look at what's going on and yeah there is that sort of like elation that comes with it because we've been waiting for this for a really long time as a, as a culture as a society as a people as you know
3: yeah, organisms
1: on the face of the planet we've been waiting for this for a while
3: <laughs> that's really what it's about it's all about this cool look what we're doing now energy um that's is it's totally fascinating for me uh to watch some of the movements that are are going on right now around the world. It's just, um it, it's very joyful. I I imagine scary for some, but I, I have yet to encounter anybody who who isn't on board with it, you know. I'm not seeing a lot of fear right now. I'm seeing a lot of elation, a lot of um celebration with a new sense of freedom. Um but I'm not I'm not seeing a lot of fear in the people that I'm I'm interacting
1: with. That's awesome. That's awesome. As a counselor I do see a little bit more fear, but um it's it's all something that's that a lot of people are finding manageable. A lot of people are just like, Yeah, you know what? I've been through a dark night of the soul. This isn't so scary. Or, you know, I've been through whatever I've gone through and I've healed it and this isn't so scary. So there is, I guess uh, maybe not fear, but trepidation just because it's so vastly different.
2: Yeah. And that's easy to understand, you know, because it is, uh, I often liken sometimes, uh, along the road is being like going downhill on a bike without your hands on the handlebar. Just get your hands in the air. Like you're in the roller coaster car, but, you're on a bicycle mountain bike going down the hill, and um <laughs> uh, you just you have to have you have to hold on to that trust that faith that it's we're gonna get down there and there's a big picnic at the bottom of the hill and um but it can be uh exciting <laughs> to say the least at at some turns
1: indeed. Yeah. And and that's really the energy that's happening right now. It's Like I said, it's very similar to birth. It's very similar to the energy that it's called the quickening. Just basically before you give birth, you get this like jolt of energy that, you know, somehow even if you've been laboring for like 24 hours, you somehow get this jolt of energy that happens. And it just carries you through the wave. It carries you through the hard part. It carries you through. And that sense of elation, that sense of going, wee down the hill, it's, you know, that is part of it. It's part of the quickening. It's part of how Mother Nature helps us out through these weird things. Yeah, you know, I, re-
3: I remember that so well, doing 60 hours of hard labor and having the doctor say to me, you know, you're exhausted, um, you're exhausted we're going to help you take this baby out. And I was like, no, no, I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> just tell <laughs> me when to push. Man. I'm good. I'm good. I'll I'll be tired later. But um, it's true. And I think that's uh, very similar to what's going on right now. But speaking about birth, let's talk about birth because you've just given birth to something new. Um, not that you're not always giving birth to something new, but this is, this is new and bigger and, and cool. So let's talk about that and you can tell us what's going on.
1: Okay, well, um, I'm pretty sure I mentioned in the last interview that I was writing a book called Spiritual uh, Handbook for the Spiritual Orphans, and I have gone ahead and registered that domain, spiritualorphans.com, and um, I decided to use it as a front for a Facebook group that I've been running for a while um, called The Tribe of Satyagraha Superheroes, and I mentioned that also in the last interview. Um, what's basically happened is because of all the Facebook stuff that's happening, and you know the the privacy settings and everything changing and the groups changing and the formats and everything changing, there's been a lot of people who have said, you know we'd like this group to be more private, we'd like this group to be more um exclusive um just so that we don't have people coming in and providing you know grief or you know trolling or whatever people do so I have gone ahead and um, set up the tribe on spiritualorphans.com. It's still the tribe of Satyagraha Superheroes, but um, we now have our own secure space. Um, It's secured by encryption and security uh, signatures, and it's basically hosted in Iceland, which has better um, Internet privacy laws. And so I've gone ahead and I've set this up, and I'm trying to get the folks in the Facebook group um, migrated over to the new space so that we can uh, still share the stories that are sacred to us, to our soul's evolution, but we can do it in a way that is secure and safe from you know, outside people who are not at a place where they understand who are just there to, I don't know, I don't uh, want to say provide grief, but provide... <laughs> provide venues for evolution. How's that? That's an awesome explanation
3: <laughs> um of of what those little challengers um turn out to be, venues for evolution. But let's let's go back so that we can explain to people um just quickly what the gr- the group that you have have launched. Can we go back and talk a little bit more about spiritual orphans because that's how the group started. So we want to go over that again and explain to people what spiritual orphanism is and, um, and and why you're providing a a safe, secure space for these people
1: um, and, and what's going to be offered within that space.
3: Okay.
1: Um, Well, the spiritual orphans came around at about the same time that um, my spirit name came through, which was mama. And, um, part of part of my energy has always been the mothering type of energy. It's just something that I've always had. You know, I would get report cards in kindergarten saying, you know, you know, Kat would do well in her studies if she stopped taking care of, you know, Jimmy and Johnny and, you know, made sure that she had her own stuff taken care of. So I've always had that sort of, you know, mothering thing. But what I really realized in doing my own soul healing was that, um, I was born to parents who did not understand me spiritually at all. They, we constantly, unfortunately, butted heads with um, ideologies and how we interacted and felt about the world. And it provided a very challenging venue. Um, but what I realized in doing my own healing is that I am my own spiritual mother, so I am my own mom. I am my own mama. You know, basically that's that's how it works for me. Um and I realized that I wasn't the only spiritual orphan that I had actually come across, but we didn't really have a title for it because some people don't fit into the indigo children crowd and don't fit into the rainbow children crowd or the crystal children crowd and there had to be like a more blanket term for these people. There had to be more you know, and it does encompass the Indigo children and and the Crystal children and the Rainbow children and all of those other children, but it's it's more of a blanket term that says I was brought here a spiritual being and I was neglected, so I had to find my own parentage to connect myself to Source, to Spirit, to God, to Universe, to whatever you want to call it, and so that was part of the the process of of recognizing the spiritual orphans, realizing that. We all had these weird sort of sacred archetypes, um, archetypal stories that we were going through. And um, Joseph Campbell talks about this stuff a lot in his his, um, work, basically undertaking the hero's journey at a very young age. You know, not starting out on the hero's quest when you're, you know, 18 or 25, you know, starting on the hero's quest when you're 5, when you're 10 you know, challenging, you know, doing the Jesus thing, going into a church and going, I have questions. Why is this this way? You know, and Christ was was probably, you know, the prototype for the spiritual orphans, you know. He started asking questions to, you know, shake things up at a very early age. Right. You know, it's part of that energy. The child that's
3: out there and, Um, you know, understands that the basic teachings behind whatever belief system they're being brought up to follow are are um applicable and worthy and and you know should be paid attention to but Who's having problems with the structure and the rules and everything that goes so they go out seeking for another religion maybe that has the same basic back teachings but different structure and different rules and then they go out to another place and they look over here and they look over there and 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 all of them seem to make sense on some level, but none of them fit to be the place to be or you know home where yes. they feel where they're safe where they're secure where they agree with everything that's being taught mm-hmm. um or or again like the child who you know mommy's reading a story from the bible and the, the kid goes but i don't remember it that way mm-hmm. um so so this is for you know anybody really out there who just hasn't found a home within a structured
1: belief system pretty much yeah Um, For my own story, um, I started, I guess, quote-unquote, collecting gods Um, when I was about 15. I started reading um, Macbeth, and um, Hecate came through in Macbeth quite clearly to me, and um, I I knew that she was there, and I started reading up on her, and then that took me to um, studying Celtic mythology, and that took me into Egyptian mythology and Hindu mythology, and so um, you can check out my Facebook site, but on my altar, I have, like, Jesus and Mary, I have um, Ixchil, I have Hecate and Odin and Frigga and Nanaboku, and, you know, I have all of these different energies because they're all part of my story. They may not be part of anybody else's story, but I find they each have sacred teachings that have brought validity to my story. Um, understanding to my life, understanding to my purpose of why I'm here. Like, that's how this stuff works for the spiritual orphans. We just start collecting things. They start coming to us in in waves sometimes. You know, uh, you'll hear the same song on the radio like five or six times. Really, listen to that song and and (laughs) pick out the, the parts that are part of your soul's journey. That's the God speaking to you. That's universal source talking directly to you. You know, that's how it works. It's so true
3: that you'll get a message over and over and over again until you actually tune into it and listen to what it's saying. And it it does make sense that all these different teachers and guides who have come forward um, through the ages, uh, coming from different parts of the world during different times, um, yeah, okay, they all have different names, but they're all representing the the same mother and father energy, really, and, and they're all coming forth in the respective times in the way that is best going to be accepted by that society or is best going to impact that society. Um, so so it makes sense to me, but it, it's not often, even still now, as open and as understanding um, as as people have, grown to be, that you get somebody speaking in terms of, it's okay to have Jesus sitting on a shelf along with Buddha. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's normal. I mean, it's normal in my world, but it it might not be normal in somebody else's world. And that's, I guess, part of that spiritual orphan, is that it all connects.
1: And that's really, really it. Um, Just the fact that you have found a way to weave your own spirituality around you that's not necessarily confined to a religion or a set of doctrines or dogmas. It's just basically like it becomes a part of your story, a part of your tapestry. It's just things that little bits that get woven into your life.
3: And do you find a lot of the people that you work with, with regards to spiritual orphans, they all come from um, families that had um, either a structured, very, very um, strict and structured belief system or no belief system whatsoever?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, because I've seen both sides of the spectrum. Myself, an example, um, there was no sort of religious structure in my in my childhood home, I started attending church on my own when I was about ten or eleven um, and my parents were not really interested in any of that we didn't even go to church like at christmas and stuff so um that's my story uh As for some of my other clients um they they've got really structured, really religious families um or they were born into a religious um structure that and then they moved um like geographic locations and their religious structure never, you know, was accepted in the new place and you know, I've had all kinds of different stories. Um so I don't I can't really qualify that to say it's just one particular walk of life.
2: I'm going to have to say the common thread is the questioning.
1: Really, yes whatever you're brought up with um, tends to be the question. You know, my question was, why don't we go to church? You know, why is is our spirituality neglected in this household? You know, and that was something, that was my questioning. Um, other people might question, well, why does, you know, God act this way or say this or do that or whatever? Um, but they all have that, that questioning, that sort of, you know, longing for answers and generally asking the inconvenient questions, the ones that, that they try to kind of sweep under the rug, like, you know, why is you know, misogyny so prevalent in certain religious texts and that kind of stuff, especially when you start asking those types of inconvenient questions, that, uh, that that's when I, I kind of get the heads up that this person's a spiritual orphan. They'll usually tell me a story about how they challenged their authority with the spiritual question.
2: Well, and it's, I think, uh, a common thread. It, it may not be one that gets discovered until they, they begin to get familiar with themselves, but uh, that just authority period kind of has a funny ring to it, and... Sometimes it it sounds like a nice idea, but then you start seeing the execution of it, and you're like, well, wait a minute, (laughs) but it doesn't say that, or, ah, ha ha
1: Yeah, and that's a really big, big part of the spiritual orphans right there. It's just the understanding that this is not how it was supposed to be interpreted. This is not how it was supposed to make sense, um... Basically, the thing that that scientists have come to understand is that we are not as war-hungry as, you know, society likes us to believe that we are. We are really a type of people who like to get along with each other. We like to be able to work on our problems, and we like to be able to come up with solutions. We are explorers as people. We're not warriors as people. We're explorers. And that means, you know, exploring ourselves, exploring our world exploring relationships, exploring communications, that's really what we're here to do. And all of the rest of it is just, you know, society placed, you know, I I don't, hmm. I'm trying to figure out out a good word here. I'm I'm not going to say control because it's not just control. It's just about the way that we interact with each other. And
3: I'm going to play the devil's advocate and Rick's going to go, what just happened? But the argument could be made that the wars in our history were part of our evolution. They're part of our growing experience and they're part of um, of how we figure out really what's most important to us. Um, you know, so I can't... Um, I don't want to say, you know, I I, I don't want it to continue, obviously, but then I don't want to, I don't want to say that everything that's happened in the past with regards to that has been, has been wrong or bad because it has helped as much as it has created division. It's actually helped to smarten us up a little bit, which sounds odd, but.
1: No, and I fully agree and this was this was a point that I had made um during the G20 in in Toronto was that um if we continue to demonize each other over our morning coffees that's when things start to get bad. Um things like the G20 and occupy Wall Street and the people being pepper sprayed and the people being, you know, beaten by batons and you know all the stuff that's going on in Libya, it's it's all there and it's all there to provide us with a wake-up call and you're absolutely right in saying that it does kind of prompt us into action Um, it prompts us into a place where we have to really look at what we're doing objectively and understand why we're doing it the main problem has been unfortunately is that a lot of people were not allowed the process to wake up spiritually before they had to start making decisions based on survival. And that's been a process of how we've gotten to where we are. And, you know, you, you're seeing it now in the Occupy Wall Street stuff. You're you're seeing um, military people coming back from overseas and going, yeah, this is weird. We shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be, you know, my eyes have been opened. You know, this is the first time that I fully understand what I'm up against. And it's not the person over in the Middle East. It's the person who, you know, is inside of me who's allowing this to happen.
3: Yeah, let's let's explore that a little bit because I, I have um, seen a lot of footage, and it's not just even during Occupy Wall Street, but there's a movement in the United States um, by some ex-veterans who have decided to, you know, speak out against the wars and to tell it like it is and to tell the truth about what's really going on overseas. And um, it all sounds glamorous and glorious, Um, you know, sign up, be be a part of, you know, an organization that's supposed to fight for our freedom and then you get over there and you realize I'm not really fighting for anything
0: mm-hmm. other
3: than, you know, whatever it is the government thinks we should be doing over here and this doesn't jive with with what my inner being is telling me and then they come back and they try to speak out against that and and to see some of these ex-vets speak out um, during, you know, movements like Occupy Wall Street. It's it's fascinating to me and it's such it – just, it just adds such a sense of hope to see that – I mean, really, because Rick always says, you know, what happens if you have a war and nobody shows up. And, and that's really the point where we're coming to is that these guys who have the guns and the uniforms are saying, we don't want to fight anymore because there's nothing that we need to be fighting for. And, and do you see us moving in that direction? Like, it, I mean, am I am I blind in my hope here, or is is does it seem to be moving in that way?
1: I totally believe that it is moving that way. I think that that's the whole reason why the spiritual orphans are here. Um, we're here to be the change. And a lot of the people, um, the ex-vets that you're ta- that you're talking about, I've seen a lot of these videos, and these guys are in their early twenties. You know, like these guys have already done a tour overseas, and they're in their early 20s. Like, these guys are totally spiritual orphans, you know, who woke up and who basically said, okay, this is enough, you know, enough. And I totally believe that's where we're headed. Um, And I think that that's kind of been the reason why a lot of this stuff has been allowed to happen, is just, you know, subterfuge or trying to keep people away from their own spirituality, their own awakening. Because when people are awake, they're not likely to kill people for money. They're not likely to, you know, steal. They're not likely to, you know, and and that's part of the awakening process is the fact that if I deprive somebody else of something, then I'm also depriving myself of an opportunity, you know. And that's something that the spiritual orphans all really intrinsically get is that what we do to another, we do to ourselves, well, there's also a little bit deeper to
3: that. There's a sense of security and knowing that you're connected in um, knowing that spirit will always provide. So once you know that spirit will always provide, you don't really need to take away from anybody. I mean, it's, it's the old saying that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, I'm sorry. I think that's BS. I don't think that absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think the lust and the need for absolute power corrupts absolutely. But once you have absolute power, there's nothing to corrupt because you don't need anything. So why would you take it from anyone? And I think that's that's the beauty of the spiritual movement is that once you know in the very core of your being that you will never want, you will never need, it will always be provided. You have you have no desire to take. Why would you? You, you end up just giving because, hey, I got it. You need it? I'll just get more of it. It's all good. Um, so so I think that's, you know, a, a lot of what we're seeing right now is based on that. People are really, truly finding out what it is to know that they will
1: always be taken care of. I can agree with that. Um, I see it a little bit differently just because the the experiences that I've lived with, things do require effort. And... As long as we understand that, we're everything that you said still holds <laughs> because the thing is is that i I understand what you're saying, but like because what we have will be given um or what we need will be given, um I find that sometimes people use that to like tune out and avoid the whole thing, right, so Do you know what I mean.
3: I do. I do completely understand what you're saying that they think that oh you know I don't I don't have to put in anything into this world then because well, why would I? <laughs> I just sit back on my butt and do nothing and I'm still going to have food on my plate. Um so I understand what you're saying, but then that, that's where that that connectedness comes in yeah. where you know that when when somebody else suffers, you too
1: suffer because we're all connected. And we're all Indeed. one. Um, and that's, that's what I mentioned during the last um, conversation as well, was that, you know, the things that we really need to be working on are community, compassion, and, you know, really cultivating a relationship with our great mama, which means, you know, growing some food, growing, you know, a community, growing our own heart space so that we can take in this energy that's being provided. And really, those are the big, big things, and I keep getting this message over and over. Those are the things that we need to be working on. Compassion, community, and helping great mama. And those are the things that we are here to do. And I I really believe that, you know, so as long as you're working at those three things, I believe, yeah, everything will be provided to you. You know, I went through nine months of unemployment last year, and it was a really scary thing. But I knew that as long as I had a roof over my head and food in my belly, so would my daughter, and everything would be fine. <laughs> so um, that, that's really the big thing. you know. It's, it's just taking comfort in your community, taking comfort in the people around you who you're working with to help sustain and support yourself and support each other. Because things get tremendously easier once you have somebody to share these things with.
3: And therein lies the the creation of the the family unit that you're providing for wayward
1: orphans pretty much, yeah, pretty much yeah that's that's what the tribe is built on, the tribe of satyagraha superheroes that's really a big part of it. It's the fact that um, and I'd actually like to take a minute just to read this if that's okay. I Absolutely. wrote a prayer for the tribe, okay. and um, I'm just gonna read it and then. This will kind of explain to you what the spiritual orphan slash satyagraha superheroes are about, which is, we witness the great mama earth is changing around us, and in this time of liberation, we recognize and understand the need for community, healing, and compassion. We see the sacredness inside ourselves and all life. All paths to peace are welcome and needed. We pray for clarity of thought and heart space for all people everywhere. We are the change we need to see in the world. We pray to be peaceful evolution and action. Namaste. And that's a prayer that we do at seven PM Pacific, ten PM Eastern, um, for people who are interested in taking part. But that's really a big part of this energy that that's going on in the world right now is that we are coming together as a community we were kept apart for so long we were all isolated orphans you know and now when we stand together we can speak our truth our satyagraha and we can actually impact other people's lives in a positive way you know hence the superhero aspect Now again
3: i'm gonna i'm gonna horn in on rick's
1: territory one more time and
3: then i'll let him let him talk a little bit um but uh, something that's really special and unique about the tribe um is that we're not talking about a community that's based on localized um localized people we're talking about an online community that has members from all around the world so I mean just the the miracle of that i just I just want people to think about that just for a second. We're talking about people from all around the world who come together and find the love, the support, the understanding, and the acceptance of family. And that is one of the most beautiful things of our time right now. And it's it's amazing that there's people like you out there, providing these safe havens for people where they can go and they can be at peace and be one and be understood.
1: And I'm really grateful that I can be one of those safe places, that I can be one of those people who can provide that. Um, You know, with all of my projects, Um, I do ask for a donation. If that's not able to be paid, then I'm not going to turn people away. That's just the way that I am. So, you know, it's a community. It's a community. We share what we have. We share what we know. We share what fuels our heart, um, you know. And, yeah, the family aspect is there. You know, we do care about each other. There is a separate uh, space in the forum for um, the Satyagraha support sphere, (laughs) And basically, it's a place where people can come and, you know, ask for prayer support, ask for, um, you know, ha- how to deal with a, a situation. Now, obviously, um, because we come from all different walks of life, it's, it's um, all peer, peer-based support. But if people do need to connect with somebody who provides spiritual counseling, I'm also in the space to provide that as well. So it's it's a really it's a really supportive environment and I found a lot of people um felt a lot more supported when when the sphere when the support sphere opened up because there was finally a place where people could um share I guess their spiritual burden things that they're carrying with them things that they know that they still need to heal but they need a place to just rest for a while I found that the space is really supportive and nurturing for that.
2: And there's a lot to be said for that because it's it's part of the compassion, it's part of the acceptance. And um I think it's interesting how how much uh you know spiritual work that people Uh, i know have been doing and and, you know gets turned around on you know okay look there's not these parts of you you got to conquer there's these parts of you that you got to discover and and figure out how to love and how to look at and how to be compassionate with and 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 now we're beginning to see that in an outward manifestation and um and you know i i don't mean to harp on the occupy folks but it's a great example that's in the public eye um you know here's these folks showing up and the reporters from BBC go and they want to profile six different folks from the and they've got 25 years old 52 years old uh you know unemployed student firefighter nurse you know it, 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 it's almost like and there's there's younger folks working in the financial industry even that show up with tape over their mouths saying you know I could lose my job for just being here I think that people are beginning to discover that the ones they thought were them, that were the problem, are all out out at the Occupy Wall Street with them. Uh, you know, all those military guys, those Marine guys, but no, they're out there too. You know, and uh, all those ones working for the banks, is, but but there's some of them out there too and that that it's only if it's anyone that it's a very 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 tiny percentage that's really scared and um uh
3: yeah i want to mention even that um pulitzer prize winning um journalists have been in attendance and speaking in support of you know i mean cuz because often we 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 try to bash the media for what they hide or what they don't show. But now you've got journalists out there as well. So yeah, Rick, you're right. I mean, it is the bringing together of there, there are no barriers in this particular movement. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, where you work. If you're in support of average Joe getting his fair shake, then come on out and play with us a while because we could use all the support we get. Um, It's an awesome representation of of exactly that sense of family and unity. And for the most part, peaceful unity. Because the protests haven't been violent. They may have been loud, but they haven't been violent.
1: No, and and that's the big thing, is that you don't... Spirituality is not limited to, you know, a walk of life. And the thing is, is that all of these people who are joining into the protests, or all of these people who are, you know, really connecting, but, like, unable to speak out, those people, they have that spiritual calling, you know, that thing inside of them that says, hey, this isn't fair. You know, we don't need to make it, you know equalize but we need to make everything fair because the thing is is that you know i'm me i have a certain set of skills you're you you have a certain set of skills you know your skills in writing jean are way better than mine <laughs> you know and that's that's just the way that you know the the gods have made us you know but that doesn't mean that you're greater than i am or that i'm greater than you are and anybody who's at those those protests i think understand that You know, that I am not greater than because I have a job or because I have a title or because I've gone to university or because I'm homeless or, you know, or because whatever. They all feel that things really need to be fair across the board. Maybe not equal, but fair. Everybody gets a fair shake. Everybody gets a fair chance. Everybody gets a fair, you know, opportunity to grow, heal, evolve, you know, do what they're here to do.
2: And it, I don't really get a great sense from, at least from any of the people I've seen them talk to, uh, you know, a great sense that any of them want to go get these bankers or whatever. They just are like, look, this doesn't, this doesn't work. you mm-hmm. got to we got to – I don't even have the answer, but we are not asking the questions. This – what? It's not a sense of, you know, the villagers are out with their pitchforks and torches and they're coming. You know, it's just, look, this is nuts. It's got to stop. And to me that's very sane, very uh, rational, and very – democratic, very sovereign (laughs) It's true
1: democracy. It's true democracy.
2: And, you know, I mean, the founding fathers of of this United States, were they alive today, would all be out there. They wouldn't be (laughs) in the halls in Washington. Come on, they were all people that printed up little handbills and passed them out and started a revolution. They'd be out on the streets.
3: It's (sighs) really so true because there isn't really a leader with regards to... um, to the Wall Street movement. There's Mm -hmm. no leader. Um, There's nobody that anybody's answering to. There's nobody standing there, one person talking all the time, saying we have to do this. This has been a collective agreement Mm -hmm. that something needs to be done.
1: And again, I said this in our last interview, it is time for people to lead their own lives. There's not just one leader, there's many leaders. And... I don't. I, I know that in a lot of what I do, I come across as the leader, but I am not actually a leader. I'm a facilitator, and I think that that's what the Occupy movement is really about. It's about facilitation. It's not about, like, I'm in charge. You know, I might be overseeing the thing because, you know, somebody has to kind of keep an eye on things, but, you know, I'm not... Um, I'm not the type of person that's unapproachable. I'm not the type of person who is not... Um, I guess basically the reality is, is that with this Occupy Wall Street and facilitation of this dialogue that's taking place for really the first time in a long time, we're looking at the energy of the matriarch. We're looking at the energy of compassionate compromise, the energy of this is what is needed You know, we don't necessarily need to take this path, the violent path that's been provided to us, but we have different venues. We have different venues to work out, you know, how to make things run, how to make things equitable, how to make things fair, how to share the resources that we have, how to not micromanage, but just to be there to be a set of eyes, to be a set of ears, to witness, to share what we know. And that's really the new type of leadership. You know, it's facilitation, it's stewardship, really.
2: Well, and I think the more, uh, and this is uh, part of the reason I find you know the the lack of coverage, distasteful. Uh, is you know in the past they've always kind of written off anyone with a different opinion because they've been able to put them in a box. You know, well, mm-hmm. oh, that's the college kids, that's the hippies, that's the this, that's the that, mm-hmm. and and you can't walk very far through any of this that's going on in any of the towns really where these things have sprung up. Um, uh, without having seen a broad cross section of of society. And you can't what they can't call us all crazy.
3: <laughs> well that's the that's oh, the one tried. thing that
1: I really, really love is that they've actually changed a lot of this um from Occupy Wall Street to now I am the ninety nine percent. I love that. I think that's brilliant. You know They've changed the whole energy of it by just saying, I'm part of the 99%. I'm part of the people who recognize that there's 1% of people making a mess. The rest of us want to get things cleaned up. We want to get things taken care of because we see the necessity in our lives, in our children's lives, in our grandchildren's lives. We see that you know, we're making an impact here that's not the impact that we want to make on the world. And we are the 99%. We are all the 99%. You know, that's- anybody who's, who's looking at this, you know, as an outsider who's not part of that 99%, I think are pretty scared right now.
3: I would think they would be. And, and what that 99% does, as opposed to calling it Occupy Wall Street, but saying I am part of the 99%, it opens up doors for people from, from Canada and from other countries. To support that movement. Um, and it doesn't become just about the United States government. It becomes a global outcry for change. I, there's, there's, um, I'm not going to call them protests, but gatherings taking place in Canada, mm-hmm. right across the country, in support of, I am the 99%. percent hmm So it takes it out of it just being one country's problem and turns it into being, you know, a global conversation. Let's talk about this. How did it happen? What can we do to change it?
0: And And that's
1: the thing. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. Absolutely. And, And the thing is, is that the spiritual orphans have been on this planet, I'm going to say since about baby boomers on and the reality is is that they're all part of this they're all instigators, they're all the people who asked all the inconvenient questions you know, who made other people think who made, you know, a lot of this sort of evolutionary stuff happen and they might not even know that they were spiritual orphans, but anybody who really said at some point, like look, this doesn't make sense and said it objectively, said it you know, called shenanigans on it, made it clear that, you know, this needs attention. This needs to be brought to people's attention because in my keeping silent, people are going to get hurt. You know, in my keeping silent, things are going to become worse. You know, in my keeping silent, I'm going to hurt myself or and, and hurt potentially other people because I'm not sharing this truth. And that's the big energy of the 99% is that we've all had these things that we've kept inside that we've said you know I'm not, I'm not ready to share that yet but the reality is, is that it's time, it's time, it's time it's time and right now this energy has become a wave that has come over the globe and you know the, the bombings in Libya and that kind of stuff will come to an end because the 99% are going why are we even doing this in the first place why are we doing this? This doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. You know, all of that will come to an end. It, doesn't, it imp- just doesn't make it Doesn't help.
3: By calling it the ninety-nine percent, you're also empowering people to realize that they, they, you know, their voices do make a difference. Um, Absolutely.
0: Ninety-nine
3: versus one. Mm-hmm. You know, come on, dude! Like together, we we are mighty. We are strong. Um, and and it was Lincoln, you know, himself who said, if your government is not doing what's in the best en- interest of the people, then you have the right within your constitution to overthrow them. Most people wouldn't know that if not for this amazing communication network that has sprung up and, and
1: Absolutely.
3: right across the board from mm-hmm. every. Every country in the world that can can touch and get in contact with the internet we're getting information um about what's really going on behind the scenes, and people are talking and once people are talking you, you how are you going to
1: convince them to keep killing each other and that's the thing it's like it's been the silence that we've all been afraid of for so long, and it's been the thing that's been so. It's been the thing that keeps people sick, you know, secrets keep people sick, you know, keep society sick. Once these things are brought into the light, we see the detail in the shadows and we can then heal that space. Without the light that's coming into this world, we're not able to do that, you know, and that's happening more and more every day. We're seeing more light. We're seeing more detail in the shadow. We're seeing what needs to be healed. We're reaching out with compassion and things are happening Positive things are happening all the time because we have been exposed to this darkness and we understand that it's there, it needs to be transformed, it needs to be healed, it needs to be, you know, understood, and it needs to be transformed, and it's time.
2: Yeah, and that it doesn't, that that doesn't mean a continuation of the Past pattern of you know let's identify the wrongdoers and barbecue them. That that really just doesn't have anything to do with it.
3: Blow it up, no. Yeah. Blow, blow it up.
2: Because I really think that once we get the ninety nine percent together, and we all tiptoe up to the curtain, you know, at in in the palace at Oz, we're going to pull back the curtain and find out there isn't anybody back there. <laughs> they left a long time ago. Um, and it was just the 1% is the the reflection of the division of the 99 when the 99 come together the 1% if there ever was one disappears just goes <laughs>
1: I've been noticing that a lot. Um, I'm not an American. I don't follow American politics a whole lot. But um, on Facebook, I've noticed that a lot of the Republican slash Democrat arguing has gone out the window. And a lot of it's just like, "Yes, yeah, the government in general. It's not really about Democrats or Republicans or any of that or who sits in the big fancy chair. It's It's about a systemic problem and it's about um, us understanding and coming to terms with that and actually healing that.
3: Yeah. Where the solution is no longer, let's just stick another person in to power and, and they'll fix it. It's,
0: That's we have right. to
3: attack the structure and, and we have not even attack the structure, but work with the structure, rework the structure. Um, you know, we don't need to tear it down completely, but we do need to manipulate it and, and, and change it and, and, trial and error, what works, what doesn't work, but we we have to do something, and I think that's the space where people are coming from, where they're not, it's not this angry, you know, angry, we have to find an answer, this guy will fix it, we need an answer, it's together we can find a solution, let's do this.
1: And that's that's what I really liked about the Occupy Wall Street is that they came up with their own charter. They came up with their own brilliant little thing that says, you know, okay, we're calling shenanigans on the following. And these are the things that we need to have seriously addressed before we can move forward as a people, as a nation, as, you know, know, humanity, basically, in general. How how are we going to fix these things? And I thought that was just brilliant because that was a collective energy. It wasn't just one person, you know, saying, well, this is what I think and this is what I think and this is what I think. It was everybody together deciding that these were the things that were important enough to be put into this charter.
3: It's so true. It has been um, a true collective um, marriage of the minds. Um, now, before we give them all your links and let them know where to find you, I have I have one question from you, just a, kind of a nosy question that I've been asking every, everybody else that I'm talking to. Where do you see Occupy Wall Street or We Are the 99% going? Do you think it's going to disappear or do you think it's going to
1: get bigger? Oh, I think it's going to get bigger because um, I, I, I really do feel that it's time. Um, and, you know, we're all doing this Occupy Heart Space in our own way um, because that's really what I see Occupy Wall Street becoming is Occupy Heart Space, Occupy um, Velcro Ripper calls it Occupy Love and I thought that was really brilliant Um, it's just occupying your heart space realizing that there are shenanigans out there, not putting your energy into them, you know, keeping your energy outside of that frame of influence You know, if you don't want to be beholden to the bank, then don't be beholden to the bank. If you don't want to be beholden in a relationship, don't be beholden in the relationship. You know, take responsibility, take whatever steps you can to make a positive change. And really, that's where I see the Occupy movement really going, is that people finding that internal equilibrium and finding a place where they can find footing, solid footing, maybe for the first time in their lives, um, where they can speak from their spirit and their mind, not just one or the other, because a lot of stuff gets lost in dialogue when you're trying to just explain something that takes place in the spirit or takes place in the mind. It's about going forward and understanding that we are a whole, complete individual, and we are in a place where... We need to take responsibility for our own actions and not wait for somebody in a big fancy chair to tell us how to take care of that.
2: Very well said.
3: I'm so smiling. Yay!
2: <laughs> Her face is hurting. She's smiling. What?
3: Yeah. So happy, happy Georgia. Tell joy. us, tell us where can
2: we find you? On the web, what's the easiest way for people to find you? What's your new deal going on? What shall we tell them?
1: Okay. It is HTTPS. The S is important because it's a secure site. And it's com slash tribe. And I will send you that link and you can put it on the thingy. Always be in the thingy.
3: <laughs> awesome. Of course, it'll be in the thingy. It's always in the thingy. And I am...
1: And I'm also found at com.
2: Beautiful. And found in the hearts of many.
1: Oh,
3: thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And
2: uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I just want to say, you know, both of you, uh, you know, commented on not being Americans, not following. This thing that's going on uh, really, really hits me where I live because, uh, because I believe in the idea, America. Uh, I believe we've gotten a, a little bit off the path of that idea, perhaps. But I'm a firm believer in the idea, and this is the idea, is the ability. It's written right in there, folks, is every last one of you, can? any one of you, can raise your hand and call shenanigans. And then we'll all take a look at it and figure out a better way. Um that's America. Amen
1: to that. <laughs> Amen to not that. <laughs> not this
2: not this baloney that we see on the TV. That is not America. And America is just people. And people live all over the planet. So you know, uh, uh Warms my heart. Anyway. <laughs>
3: I had to throw in the Texan accent there, did
2: you, <laughs> well, you know me, I gotta try to roll a laugh off the end of something somewhere.
3: Oh, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Oh, what a what a beautiful, amazing way to end the show. Um proud to be Canadian. Proud to know Americans who understand what it is to be an American. Um and and proud always and forever to be a humanitarian earthling and part of this amazing planet that we
1: call home. Because, wow, we rock. (laughs) Indeed, people are awesome. And that's what the whole movement is about, is about people, you know, recognizing our humanity, recognizing our fellows as humans, as, you know, worthy of respect and love and compassion and support. And that's really what I feel all of this is about right now at this time in this place of transition.
2: Amen. All right. I want to thank everybody that's been with us this evening. We've had some callers on. We've had folks in and out from the chat room and, of course, our inner child family over there. Don't forget to, to go visit them at N-I-N-G, dot com. And uh, we'll be back here in... Two days' time with Brian Kennard.
3: And don't forget to stop in tomorrow morning for a little coffee with Source while we talk about um,
2: the news and the
3: shenanigans that are going on there because that's always fun.
2: Right, right. We're not, you know, plastering it on everybody's walls because we're doing it Monday, Wednesday, and, and Friday mornings at, uh, what is it now? 9 a.m. Eastern?
3: At 9 a.m. Eastern?
2: 9 a.m. Eastern time. Get your get your cup of coffee, and we'll uh, we'll take a look at uh, the funny pages, or as other people call it, the news.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks, everybody.
3: Um, take care. Our love to all. Night night. Bye. Bye.
2: Join Rick and Jean again next time. Until then, visit their website at everydayconnection.me and be sure to like their Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection. Worried you might miss an episode? Don't worry, subscribe. Find us on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free just like your everyday connection.
0: So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted.
1: We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer, see jared.com/pricematch for details.
0: So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted.
1: We promise to match any price on a like-loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash for details.